I want to invite you to your Bibles to John, uh, actually 3 John, so it's kind of confusing. I wish it wasn't as confusing, but there's like the Gospel of John, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's in the New Testament. But then there's also, if you look at the end of your Bible, where it says 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, that's where I want to go to is 3 John. So if you basically go to the back and find Revelation, then just go a little bit in front of Revelation, you'll find a sliver of a book called Jude, and then right there is going to be 3 John. Did I give you a clear enough roadmap to find it? I'll be honest, we just don't read these guys very often, and we need to. And so that's why we're spending some time in these little bitty letters uh, this month, uh, 2 John, 3 John. Next week, we'll talk about Jude. Uh, and we're talking about this journey of witness. If you could write a letter, to whom would you choose to send your letter? If you could write a letter, to, you remember when we used to write letters? That's probably some. So uh, it's good to write a letter and I was thinking, well, I'd probably write to my mom. I should write to my mom. Uh, I like to write notes to my kids around their birthdays, just a little note. Um, hopefully they can read my writing. Uh, we had fun this summer uh, when I was on sabbatical, and I was, had some solo time for a few weeks, and I didn't see Beth and the kids a lot. Uh, Weston and Hope and I did some correspondence through letters. That was fun. I was so excited to see their letter come in the mail, and it was fun to write back to them. I have that memory. I also have a pen pal. Do any of you still have a pen pal? I had a pen pal from, from uh, eighth grade uh, through high school, met at church camp. His name is Alan Williams. And so we wrote for a handful of years while I was in high school, and then we got to college, and we spent some time together, and then like 20 years later, we started writing again. And so I wrote him on Friday afternoon and put a letter in the mail to him. But if you could write a letter, to whom would you choose to send your letter? Third John is a letter. And it's a pretty good, just hands-on letter from one person to another. In fact, I don't know if you realize, but the majority of your New Testament is letters. Letters from Christian leaders to churches or individuals. You start in the book of Romans, which we call it the book. It's really a letter. That's a long letter, though, isn't it? So Romans through Jude are letters. Maybe Hebrews would be a little bit not so much. But most of the New Testament is letters. And so I want to just read this letter with you. And we're just going to talk about uh, John's letter to his friend named Gaius. So it starts out with, verse 1, the elder. In first century letter writing, the sender puts their name first. Doesn't that make so much sense? I don't know why they taught us to put your name at the very end of the letter. Because we need to know who's writing this. And so right at the front is who's sending this letter. It's called the elder. Uh, he doesn't name himself, but tradition says that this is John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John wrote these three letters, 1 John, 2 John that we talked about last week. Michael did a great job teaching on 2 John. 3 John, and there's also one more that he wrote, the Revelation. Your last book of the Bible was also believed to be written by John, the son of Zebedee, the beloved disciple. So we're going to say this is the elder John. To my dear friend Gaius, we're going to see that phrase dear friend four times in this letter. To my dear friend Gaius, Gaius is a common name. There's a few Gaius Guys, earlier in the New Testament, maybe it's one of those, maybe not. Uh, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, 
I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. I've started using that verse too when I go make hospital calls. Don't you think that's a good verse to go when someone's sick? I pray that you may have good health and that may go well even as your soul is getting along well. The, the idea of connecting both physical health and spiritual health together. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so if you've got someone who is sick, 3 John 2 may be a very good verse to put in a card or to pray over them or to encourage them. Verse number three, uh, it, give, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified, that's the word for witness, have witnessed about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. That's a theme of John's letters. We talked a lot about, about that last week, walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Would parents agree to that? Say hearty amen. But I think not just the, his, I don't know that he just has physical children in play though here. I think it's those who follow the message, the disciples of Jesus, those who we've won to following Jesus, it just is great when you see someone baptized and later on, they're still faithfully following Jesus. Verse five, dear friend, third time we've seen it, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Now we're reading his mail here. Do you get this? How do you think he likes this guy, Diotrephes? I kind of want to say, what happened that day when he showed up? I want to be there that day when that conversation happened. Verse 11, fourth time we see it, dear friend. This word for friend, some translations will say beloved. It's where we get the word agape, unconditional love. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Third John. We just read an entire book of the Bible. You only have 65 left and you'll finish reading through the Bible. If I could summarize Third John in a sentence, we could do it this way. Hospitality swings on the hinges of unconditional love. Hospitality swings on the hinges of unconditional love. If you want to be a witness for Jesus, it's important to have hospitality, to be hospitable, 
And the only way we can do that is through showing unconditional love. I want to walk through those. There's four of them, but really there's three direct addresses that I see where he says, dear friend or beloved. Verse 2, verse 5, verse 11. As we think through this theme of hospitality and witness, the first one I see is, dear friend, help the next generation walk in the truth. Dear friend, help the next generation walk in the truth. Third John, verses 1 through 4. He says to him, dear Gaius, I, I love you in the truth. Then he says, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that all may go along well with you. In the first century, they had text messaging too. They would write letters and they would give this little uh, initial abbreviation. They'd say S-V-B-E-E-V. That was how the, you would know that. It'd be just like, you know, see you later or be right back or ASAP, whatever the lingo is. And so it's Latin for S-V-B-E-E-V. And I need Jack to help me with the Latin here. Can you help me pronounce this, Jack? Here's how I'm going to say it. See if I'm correct. Si ualis bene est ego ualeo. How'd I do? I got the thumbs up. Okay, so if you haven't studied Latin for a while, it just means if you're well, that's good. I am well. And so whenever you, it's kind of like every day we greet, how you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. That's it. So when they'd write their letter, they would just make this initial S-V-B-E-E-V. You good? That's good. I'm good. That's the initial letter, okay? John takes a little step further. He says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that it may go along even as your soul is getting along well. He doesn't just want them to be good. He wants to realize that your soul and your health is together. And so he's praying that he can continue to walk in the truth that way. Verse 2, it says, gives him great joy. Some believers are testifying to the faith of Gaius that he's continuing to walk in the truth. And then verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I was talking with my friend, Fred Hansen, a few a couple weeks ago, and we were just talking about our families, and he was just thankful. He says, we don't appreciate generational faithfulness like we should. Not every family has a legacy of faith. My dad's the first Christian in his family. My mom, she had a faithful grandmother and faithful great-grandmother. But how many of us, maybe it's the first generation for you to be a follower of Jesus. And we need generations of faithfulness. The church really thrives when we've got generations of faith represented. And so it's important. And it's not just your biological family, though. Remember, it's not just those in your family, although we should, as followers of Jesus, be raising up our families in the ways of Jesus. But it could be, we could be the same age, but maybe one's a follower, one's not, and so you're wanting to invest in that next generation of faithful followers. A couple Wednesdays ago, uh, Brad and I were in this room, and uh, it was God Squad night, and so he and I are doing the junior high group, and uh, after we feed the kids, I put those junior hires to work. We clean up and we vacuum and we arrange the tables for the ordination uh, celebration afterwards. And then we come in here and we get Bibles out and we just read the Bible. And then we talk about what are you going to do about what you read. 
and we pray. And that's our night. And one of the teens said, hey, I want to read about the Romans. We're studying about Rome in school. Let's read about Romans. I'm like, okay, we've got lots of different ways we could talk about Romans in the Bible. They show up a few times. So I said, I thought to myself, let's go do the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6. It would be kind of a tangible thing. You know, you've got swords and shields and breastplates and all kinds of cool things. And we talk about how that, that spiritual armor is you know, mirrored after the, the Roman soldier's armor. I thought that would be kind of a cool way. So we, we, I chose that passage. And then I thought, you know, that starts in verse 10. It's always good to just read the Bible context. We'll just start chapter 6, verse 1. It talks about family stuff, honor your father and mother, things like that. So I, we start reading just a verse at a time. There were seven students and then Brad and I. And we read through all that. And I'm like, okay, what's, uh, what, what struck you in your reading? What, what questions? What's, what do you think? One of the, gr- One of the girls, uh, she said... Uh, we live in America. Not all of us have dads at home. It says here we go. We're supposed to honor our father and our mother. Are we supposed to just honor our mom like we would our dad, or do we honor God? Didn't think that was coming. Figured we'd look at the cool thing about the sword and the shield. And I said, that's a great question. And I said, uh, who else doesn't have a dad at home right now? Slowly, and not very high, six hands raised. There were seven kids in the class. Six of them didn't have a dad living at home. So we talked a little bit. I said, it's not your fault that dad doesn't live at home. And there's a lot of complex reasons why maybe it's a good thing that dad doesn't live at home. But um, God loves you. And I said, God's your father, and he can do what he needs to do in place of what you don't have at home. And I told them, God wants you to have mom and dad. That's his design. That's his ideal family. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And then I said, you know, ideally God wants you to get married, live together, then have kids. I just tried to kind of parse that out for him too. That's the ideal plan. And we just talked through, and I said, that's one reason Brad and I are here for you, just so that you can see what godly men look like so that you can have a picture one day of what it looks like for a Christ-centered man, how we act. I said, that's what the church is for, to show you what it looks like. You know what the kids said? Thank you. Thank you for answering our question. My heart breaks for our kids. And so when John writes to Guy, I said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. As followers of Jesus, we need to show the next generation what it looks like to follow in the truth. That begins in our family. You want to talk about witnessing, it starts in our own physical family, but 
guys, can I just call out the men right now? Are there some children that need dads that maybe you can just be intentional to think through what does it look like for me to help them in their walk with Jesus? What would it look like for you to show them what a man is, that a man man rejects passivity and he leads courageously and he accepts responsibility and he expects God's greater reward? And so I just want to encourage you to write down a name of someone in the next generation whom you can help walk in the truth. Witnessing for Jesus talks about thinking of other people. And again, they could be the same age it's physically. could be those who are younger in need of families. We talked this week, Michael and I had a nice visit with Olivia from the James Project. If you're not familiar with the James Project, they support foster families. And they're a great organization. And, you know, my friends, if, if every church would just take in a foster child, we'd clean out the foster system. There'd be no more orphans. Maybe God's placing that in your heart. Talk to the James Project. They can help cut through some of the red tape for you to be a foster parent or adoption. And there's so beautiful stories here in this room, and I just want to commend your families for showing that love. But I want you to write down a name today of someone in the next generation whom you can help walk in the truth. Our story continues, the letter actually, in verse 5. Dear friend, he says again, Gaius, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers. So I think of the second one, it says, Dear friend, faithfully show hospitality to strangers, verses 5 through 8. Faithfully show hospitality to strangers. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. Some people think Gaius might be wealthy. That way he's able to show hospitality to these people. Not so sure. Verse 6, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name. My Bible capitalizes name there. That they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that they may work together for the truth. Excuse me. (laughs) Thank you for that. Okay, so faithfully show hospitality to others. If you remember last week, Michael helped us understand that there were, in 2 John, there were teachers that were saying, hey, Jesus wasn't really fully human. He was just spiritual. And he's like, don't let those people in your home. Do you remember them saying that? And, you know, don't welcome the lies into your home, okay? This is the second. This is the flip side of that. But he said, there's some good teachers out there. There's some people that love Jesus and they're teaching right. You should welcome them into your home. You should help them on their way. That was what was happening in John's day. And so we don't have a lot of that happening right now. But there still are times where guest preachers come through, aren't there? And there's been several of you who have said, hey, I'll have them over to our house for for lunch or I'll take them out for for dinner. And that's one way to show that hospitality to traveling preachers or missionaries because they have needs that we should meet. When we were building this building, many of you opened your homes for the church builders and we spent like two weeks in your home as a result of them building this building. That was one way to show that hospitality to strangers, but they were Christians in the name of, and working in the name of Jesus. So that's one way to, to show that hospitality. Wouldn't it be a great experience for your family to have a spiritual leader in your home? 
And just for them to, to see and interact with that missionary or that Christian leader or teacher. So I want you to think about maybe that's one way to witness to those around you by welcoming Christian teachers into your home. There was a day when you invited the preacher over for Sunday lunch. And I'm not angling for Sunday lunch invitations, <laughs> but we did have one last week and it was a delightful time with family and friends. And just that opportunity to have that life on life. And when you host someone in your home, they kind of see the real thing, don't they? I mean, your warts and all. And I think that's unhelpful for people to realize, okay, these Christians are normal people and their kids get angry and fuss with one another and, and things like that too. It's okay. But the idea of showing hospitality in the name of Jesus is I think one of the greatest opportunities to witness your faith. I cannot tell you how many different kids are gonna come through our house this week, but they just show up, don't they? Why are you guys smiling? <laughs> it's just wonderful, they just kinda of just show up and they'll come and eat a cookie and then five minutes later they're gone. And that's good. We just love having our kids into our home. And it's just one way to show hospitality. Now, it's not for everybody, but can I just be honest? Christians really need to be hospitable. We just need to be generous, kind, welcoming people. And I get it. Even though you're the, for the introverted people, there's, it's going to look different. That's okay. But there's still ways that that can be uh, a, a way to show. But that's a great way to witness is just welcoming people in your home or having them over or taking them out or meeting somewhere, just building relationships, friendships. That is so, so key. One of our, one of our um, strategic plans again this year is to connect the disconnected, to connect the disconnected. There's people here that, that are not here. And maybe God's put them in your mind like, I wonder where they've been. Take that as a Holy Spirit prompt and then call them or reach out to them this week and say, hey, we've missed you. And maybe God's going to do something for you. So think through what that looks like. Do you notice that it says that these Christian teachers in verse 6 and 7 says that they were um, coming and in the name, it says it was for the sake of the name that they went out and they received no help from the pagans, those who were not uh, followers of Jesus. This is the only letter in the New Testament, 3 John, where you do not find Jesus or Christ anywhere in this letter. You can read through it, all 218 words in the original language, and Jesus isn't there, but I think he's there in verse 7. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. These teachers were teaching the love of Jesus. And Gaius and some of the Christians were welcoming these people into their homes. So it's possible when you welcome people into your home, you're welcoming Jesus. Jesus tells about it in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 35. Jesus is teaching, it's the last week of his life, and he's talking about sheep, and he's talking about goats, and different things. And in Matthew 25, verse 35, talks about a king. And then he says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Christians, we need to show hospitality to strangers. 
those we don't know. And there's just a natural gravitational pull in churches to become inward focused and just friendly to the people that we know. And so I just want to remind ourselves that we need to be hospitable to those whom we don't even know yet, to strangers. And we've got to be wise, use discernment, don't put yourself in a dangerous situation, okay? So just take that. But general common courtesy to someone we do not know, you never know, could change someone's life. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13 verse 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Let that sink in for a moment. There may, be, may have been angels in your house. I don't want to get too spooky or weird or mysterious, but there's a lot of angels out there. How cool would that be to say you welcomed an angel into your home by just showing common Christian hospitality? So whereas the first part, I want you to write a name of someone in the next generation whom you can walk, help and walk in the truth. Here's what I want you to write down this week. You're going to have to wait a little bit. Uh, you might be able to get this done before you leave church, possible. But I want you to write down a name of a stranger you meet this week. Someone you meet. Maybe they'll be the, the lady at the gas station or the drive through at McDonald's or when you go out to eat later today and your server but I want you to meet someone's name. Learn their name and, and write it down this week. Here's what I generally do. It's fun. Sometimes it really puts people uncomfortable. I still don't know what my kids think, but that's okay. Um, when we go out to eat, I'll just ask our server. Usually they're pretty good at saying, I'm so-and-so, I'll be your server today, da-da-da-da. But if they don't, I'll just ask them their name, and then I'll say, we're going to pray for our meal. Is there something we can pray for you about? So Friday night, date night with Beth. Best, best night of the, of the week, always date night. And so, uh, so we have a date night, Dublin pub, outdoor seating, nice. And our server, her name was Evan. And I said, hey, uh, we'd like to pray. Can we pray for you? Is there anything going on you want prayers for? She said, yeah, I'm getting married next month. Hey, cool, we'll pray for you. And got her husband's name or groom. Uh, and so I wrote it down in my book, and Beth and I prayed taking my son to drum lessons yesterday. Not necessarily a stranger, his drum teacher, but I just said, hey, uh, anything going on you want us to pray about? And he's like, man, that's cool of you. Um, everything's pretty good, man. I'm like, okay, well, we'll thank the Lord that things are good. He said, that's really cool. He's like, thank you. I try to be cool. <laughs> did not say that. I did not say that. Uh, but I just jotted that down. Um, Picking Wesson up, the next guy who comes in for drum lessons, his name is Rick, older gentleman, and he was telling me that his uh, daughter is um, uh, having a baby next month, so excited about that, so I, I jotted that down in my book, and um, his name is Rick, and she's got, his daughter has some eye pressure going on, so we're I said, okay, let's pray, pray that for, for you as well. So those are some ways, just comment that you can meet people and just learn their name. And maybe you just say, hey, God bless 
you and say their name. And if you do this when people are watching you, like your kids, your friends, they might start picking up on that and try it themselves. My daughter Hope has a few times. It embarrasses her siblings, but it makes her dad proud. <laughs> Dear friend, faithfully show hospitality to strangers. His letter goes on. Verse 9, he gives someone by name. He says, I wrote to you, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. <clears throat> we are not, sat not satisfied with that. He even refuses to welcome those, well, refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So we're writing some names down. John also writes some names down. He said, there's a guy named Diotrephes. This guy sounds bad news, doesn't he? Wants to always be first. You know that guy or that gal? Always wants to be first, not a servant leader, spreading malicious nonsense, gossip. Uh, he's even refusing to welcome the other believers. He has a spirit of legalism. So even though these are Christians that you can trust, he's like, you ain't coming into my house. Even so much so that he starts self-promoting and third, asserting his own authority. And those Christians who are showing kindness, he's putting them out of the church. This guy's no good. And so John says, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. So the theme for this one, dear, dear friend, imitate what is good in your friendships. Imitate what is good in your friendships. And so there's one guy, Diotrephes. This is evil. Stay away from him. <clears throat> then he says, anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Then he highlights a positive example in Demetrius. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. So it's like you see Demetrius and friendly, people liking this guy. He's welcoming people, it appears. And then it sounds like if you look at your Bible and you look at Demetrius, they match. And so do you have some friends like that where you see them, you see the Bible, and you're like, that person's the real deal. That person will help me grow closer to Jesus. You need a friend like that. He says, Demetrius, well spoken of by the truth. He says, we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony or our witness is true. Justin Early has a book called The Common Rule. And it's about holy habits. And one of his holy habits is to spend one hour a week with your friend. Spend one hour a week or talk one hour a week with a friend. This is something we can learn from our teenagers. So teens, thank you for being friends. Teens love their friend time, don't they? You know, their school or work, sport or friend time. It's hard to get them around the table with family anymore because they're doing their friend stuff. But that's, I get it. But we can learn from their desire for friendship time. Now teens, make sure those friends are helping you follow Jesus. And if they're leading you down different, difficult paths, you may need to establish some boundaries. But I think as we get older, one, some of our friends die. 
Some of them, we just kind of get set in our ways and we just kind of get more isolated and lonely and isolated. And that's what I love about some of our older adults that still have lots of good friendships. They're cultivating those friendships. They're generally pretty happy people. And so we need some friends to help us follow Jesus. Dear friend, imitate what is good in your friendships. That's one reason why in this season of life, I'm trying to be more intentional to cultivate those friendships. That's why I've got an appointment on my calendar for 6.30 this Thursday morning to have time with one of my dear brothers because I realize that's important and we help each other, we hold each other accountable. So in this journey of witness, we need some friends to help us stay on that healthy path. So... First part, you've got to write down a friend of some, or someone in the next generation you can help walk in the truth. Sometime today or this week, I want you to write down the name of a stranger. I also today want you to write down a name of a friend who can help you walk in the truth. Write down the name of a friend who, when you read your Bible and you think of them, they kind of match. Now, they're not perfect, but they're well on their way. You need those types of friends to help you. I think that's what John is wanting Gaius to realize, that this Demetrius and others are are good, that you can trust them. John concludes his letter, verse 13. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Write down some names. Hospitality swings on the hinges of unconditional love, and I feel that that is best displayed in the name of Jesus.